0: Junior church kids, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we've been last, we'll be here at least for one more week. Question, have you ever given a gift that you sacrifice for? And what I mean by sacrifice for, you know, I mean, we're coming up on the Christmas season and obviously you have birthdays. And, but have you ever given a gift and, and, you were, and you thought a lot about this gift that you wanted to give? And maybe you spent a lot of time making the gift. And you were, the, the longer it went on, the more excited you got. That when this person received this gift, boy, they are just going to love it. And you spent the time thinking about it. You maybe spent the time making it. Maybe it was that you spent the time uh, earning the money so that you could purchase it. I mean, you thought this was the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, they are going to love this gift. And you gave it to them. And they received it. But you could tell immediately they didn't receive it with a grateful heart. It just wasn't what they thought. I have, I've actually had a few of those instances, both being the receiver and the giver, where I, did they really like it? In fact, if it's something that is functional, they didn't even want to use it. They just looked at it, set it aside for the next gift. And it's like, ah, oh, I spent so much time thinking of the perfect gift and they didn't like it. Have you ever had that experience? I think if you're a parent, by the way, I think if you're a parent, you probably have had that experience many times. I always got a kick out of little kids. You know, you uh, wrap up this big gift in this big box and you give it to them. I'm talking little kids. And they, ah, you know, it's a, it's a new pair of pants. No, it's a bicycle. Well, you can't go out and ride the bicycle yet. It's a trike, you know. You can't ride it yet. In the so what do they do? They end up playing with the box. I could have got them a box. Forget the gift. You know, they would have been just as happy. Sometimes we want to play with the, the box. It shows our immaturity, actually. Well, we're talking about gifts today. That's the primary subject. And, and we see it found in chapter, uh, again, hopefully you're in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, again, we made a statement last week. If God is going to be glorified, his church needs to be unified. God is glorified when his church is unified. God is glorified when his church is unified. Now, again, God has gone through great lengths. To bring his church together in a unified fashion. If you go again in Ephesians 1-3, through 3, especially chapter 1, we find that all of this is done. All of the work of uh, creation and redemption and bringing the church together was to the praise of his glory. Verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 12 and 14. To the praise of his glory. Everything we're talking about today is to the praise of his glory. To exalt, to glorify The Father. But we go to chapter 4 and we realized last week that to worship Him and to glorify Him, He expects us to live up to our position. Our position is chapters 1 through 3. And chapters 4 through 6 is our practice. Our practice ought to match our position. We've been called into God's family. We have been placed by adoption into God's family. We've been given uh, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. We've been given the Spirit of God. We begin, a- in other passages, we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have everything we need. That's our position. But now we have to live up to it in our practice to, again, glorify God. Now, again, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to, again, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And we're going to be looking at how to walk worthy today. We looked at it last week. We're going to look at it again this week. To walk worthy. And he gave us some things that we should do that keep our unity of the believer together. In verse 2, it says, with all lowliness. Or you can use the word humility. Some of your versions say that. Actually, there's five different things here. First of all, lowliness. And then there needs to be gentleness. In other words, if we're going to function in a unified way in the body of Christ, there's got to be gentleness. I mentioned last week that gentleness means that your needs are not a hassle to me. <laughs> See, gentleness means that you're not a hassle, you're not an irritant to me, and vice versa. So humility says it's not about me, God is the center. Gentleness looks at you and says, and we're going to be walking this path for a while and you're not a hassle. You're not an irritant. Sometimes people become an irritant to one another. really shows that they don't have humility and they don't have gentleness towards one another. That's what kills, uni- uh, that's what kills uh, unity, is when we don't have humility and gentleness. And then the, second, or the third thing is with long-suffering like what Paul Tripp says. Long suffering means that we celebrate process. Process. The Christian life is a process. How many of you are finding that out as far as a besetting sin? It's a process. <laughs> you have victory and defeat. You have more victory, but still a defeat. You have more, more victory, but you still have a or relationship, or how you deal with a particular trial. And when you, when you resolve those things in your life, you know what the Lord does? I mean, this is just this is the process. He brings something else to the forefront that you need to take care of. Sometimes we get the idea that the Christian life is kind of like retirement. See, in our world, retirement is this. You work, work for 30, 40 years, and then you can retire like everything is supposed to be taken care of, which is a lie, anyways. But the point is, but the point is this: sometimes we look at the Christian life like that. You know, we really put a lot of energy into it in the front end, and by the time I'm 55, 60, 65, 70, you know, the sins are behind me. I'm not dealing with the the flesh like I used to. That's not true. You know, there's never a point. Uh, Christian life is process. And long-suffering means patience, means I run with you long, says that we celebrate that. I could start naming you and say each one of you are in process just like I am, and now we're working together, and that's good. That's, That's the way it should be. And then fourth, bearing with one another. Now this time he brings in the one another, which means sometimes the hurt... The long suffering that you have to do isn't by the world, isn't by the unsaved, it's actually by a Christian. Again, it's one thing to be hurt by the world, you expect it, it's another to be hurt by a Christian. We don't expect it sometimes, but that's why he says bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. And then finally in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The point is the Spirit has already given us unity, why? Because he... He has placed us into the body of Christ. That's unity. But now we're told of what we've already been given positionally in Christ. Now we have to endeavor to keep the unity. Endeavor Endeavor means to exert. Exert yourself to keep, to guard. Guard that unity. Guard what, what your position already is. When you were saved... And you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. You were placed in the body. Now we've got to exert ourselves to keep the unity. It's not easy. Because again, you have the flesh, the world, devil, Satan wants to destroy, you know, and it's just constant. It's that constant struggle to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And to prove that it's. It's so critical in that it's only God that can do it. Look at verses 4 through 6. He literally brings up the Trinity. There is one body and one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, just as you were called in one hope, one Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And he mentions the Trinity. Basically, the Trinity was at work in your salvation, bringing you into the body, creating the unity. Now keep it. Now keep it. Someone was telling me today, or this week, and I wish I remember who it was. They were talking about, uh, uh, either they did it or they were just reading this, but uh, uh, someone was driving through a, um, a long stretch of road construction. And one of the worst places I've ever been in road construction is Philadelphia. That's like a nightmare. So I always think of Philadelphia when I think of road construction. Um, But anyways, so they went through this long process of, you know, road construction and all this other, and at the very end, there was a sign, at the very end of the road construction that said this, quote, end of construction, thank you for your patience, end quote. And I thought, you know, that's exactly how it is for the Christian, you know, we'll get to heaven someday, end of construction, thank you for your patience, thank you for your patience with me. Now I'm finally perfected, right? but none of us will be till that end, okay? Uh, sometimes we think we ought to be. That's not how it's designed. So again, progressive. We celebrate process. We celebrate process. So that's the unity, verses 1 to 6. We have unity, and yet there's diversity. He's going to be, he brought up the body a few times already in Ephesians. He's going to bring it up three times in this text. Well, he brought it up in verse 4. But there's diversity. There's differences. We're unique. I mean, just look out around you. In this congregation, we have the old and the young. That's pretty diverse. We have males and females. That's really different. (laughs) Do women think like men? No. Okay. Right? Real differences. Real differences. We have wealthy and needy. We have entrepreneurs. We have farmers. We have mothers and fathers. We have white-collar and blue collar. I mean, we're a really diverse group, right? Very var- diverse. We have babes in Christ and those who have been saved over 40 years. Anybody over in here over saved more than 40 years? Anybody? Oh. <laughs> we have those who are passionate about learning, those who are passionate about sports, and those who are passionate about movies. I mean, there's all kinds of passions represented. We have daily struggles with the physical, some daily struggles with the mental. And yet some are just the happy-go-lucky, you know, just whatever. Kind of like my wife. (laughs) Now, think of, all right. I mean, I was thinking about this. Galatians, you know, it says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. I mean, we're really different. We are really different. So now, now this is the point. How do you get a group of people who have been placed into the body of Christ and we're called to be uni- unified practically just like we are positionally when there are so many differences? I mean, there are so many differences. You know what God does? He makes us interdependent on each other through our giftedness. That's how you do it. He brings you in, and it's just like and and I'll tell you what, the body illustration is perfect. I've never been hit so strong as this week, like how perfect that's an analogy to the body of Christ. That's why he says it's the body. Because you can't look at any part of my body, just let's say my hand, and say, well, I really don't, I don't really need that joint. Okay, I really don't need that joint. Let's get rid of that joint. No, we're all interdependent. We're all unique. And yet we're supposed to be unified, well how do you do that? You make each person interdependent on each other, that's how you do it. So God says, you know what, I want you to be unified, and you're going to do that as you exercise your gift, and that's what you see in verse 7. So let me read verses 7 through 11, okay? And that way uh, we move actually from the unity part of the passage, verses 1 to 6, to now the diversity part of the passage, verses 7 through 11. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he asc- now, now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all, heavens, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So again, how do you you unify the church? That's very diverse. You give each a gift that they have to use for each other, and that's going to create unity because they need each other. Interdependence. Interdependence. So Christ gives gifts to each believer. And this is where we get into the uniqueness of the believer. If you just remember anything else, just remember this. You are very unique. You are very unique, and I don't mean physically, and I don't mean on this world stuff. I'm saying as far as how you contribute to the body of Christ. Well, let's look at five different things about this. And again, it's just off of verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. First of all is this. Is the contrast of unity with diversity? Or, you know what, I put that in your uh, outline, but actually you could change the word contrast. How about this? The connection... Of unity with diversity. And you get it all from the word but. But's the transition. But it's not a normal, uh, simple conjunction. It really means, in spite of that. In other words, he's looking back and he's, he's saying, in spite of the unity of verses 1 to 6, look at the diversity. Each one has a, a grace gift. So he's connecting these two passages verses 1 to 6, 7 through 11. Again, it sets the individual, the each one in verse 7 over against the all of verse 6 in regards to the unity in the body of Christ. It's the bridge. By the way, if you don't get this, you could be very uh, divisive. People are very divisive because they don't get this. They don't understand the interdependence thing. They don't understand the, uh, the, uh, just the difference, you know. Uh, I'm I'm sure in my immaturity, I didn't understand that. What happens is this. You don't appreciate the other person. You just don't appreciate them. Because this is your passion. This is your gift. This is what you do. This is how God has gifted you. Why can't you get on board? And you know what God says? No, I made them different. I made them different to function in the body. They're not supposed to function like a knee. They're supposed to function like a finger. Stop trying to get them to be an ear when you're a nose, right? You know, yeah, when they're a nose, you got it. Did you get the point? See, in other words, we don't appreciate each other if we don't understand this thing. So there's this connection of unity with diversity. As one said, God's gracious relation to the all of verse six is also a personal relation to the each other. Of verse 7, and a personal ministry through each one. What? For the profit of all, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says. For the profit of all. So we're brought here, and again, it's, it's the analogy of the body. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, and we've been there a few times before. But again, you have to see it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 14, basically it's this, the body is a unit. Verse 12, for as the body is one and as many members, but all the members of that body being one are one body. It's a, it's a body, it's, it's many, but it's one. It's one unit. That's how the body functions. Look at number 2 for uh, time's sake. Each member is important, as, as found in verse 15. Each member is important. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? I mean, that would be ridiculous. In a physical form, no, 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 no. No, we want you part of the body, foot. Get back here. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No, no, no. Many of you have had issues with your eye or had issues with your ear. No, we want both. Right? We want both. Right now I'm having an issue with my ear. This whole side feels clogged. (laughs) So if I, hopefully I don't sound off. Boy, I wish, I I, I can't wait till it turns back to normal. I feel it, you know. In fact, someone said to me earlier, boy, you look, you know, you're not smiling. It's like I'm just trying to focus. Like if I talk to you, I'm going to go like this. Gives me, um, gives me understanding of people who've had ear problems. But, but look at the last part, verse 20. Verse 20. Not only is the body a unit, not only is each member important, but the body has many parts and all are, again, interdependent. But now, verse 20, indeed, there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. We can never say that of each other. I have no need, and he just keeps going on. Basically, God has, has uh, done the body as he, he designed in fact, he keeps going back to that sovereignty issue in that passage in 1 Corinthians 12 like three times. He keeps going back, but God, but God, God has designed this. This is how God has designed it. This is what pleases God. This is what glorifies God's, God as, as we fulfill our responsibilities to him and to each other. And unless Christians realize the important lesson of mutual dependence upon one another... Uh, they can accomplish little. Even if their giftedness is being used, they're going to accomplish little. That's how the body is designed. You can take a person that is really gifted, but if they don't see interdependence, they're going to accomplish little. I'm not going to tell you the guy's name. It was years ago. This was before most of you were even here. Some of you, you, a lot of you weren't even born. But there was a a person, and, and the person was so gifted, but the person was so independent. He wasn't, very, he wasn't used well because he didn't connect in an interdependent way with each other. Again, that's how it happens. I mean, God designed it that way. We need each other. We, we need to be interdependent. So again, the contrast between unity and diversity. How about the second? Uh, we have been given what we did not deserve because it says to each one of us, grace was given. Charas. grace. Grace was given. Don't you love the word grace? Oh, my. Again, grace was given to us, and I'm just going to look at two parts. First of all, grace was given to us in salvation. He's not talking about salvation here, by the way. But let's just remember that grace was given to you in salvation, that very familiar passage in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Let's just... Okay. Okay. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, it's, you've been saved based on grace. The fact is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, right? He came and paid the penalty. He's our substitute. And it was the grace of God, the mercy of God, that revealed to us that indeed I was a sinner, I was damned, and Christ saved me. I mean... Christ sacrificed himself for me, and if I would believe on him, he would save me. And the saving is through faith. That's like the conduit. That's what brought salvation to my soul, as I had belief, I had faith in the fact that what Christ did was enough. That it wasn't my righteousness. In fact, Ephesians uh, 2.8 says this, uh, continues on, save through faith, and that not of yourself, that's self-righteousness, it is the what? The gift. Kind of remember that word because we're going to see that same exact word gift in, a, in our passage. And It's a gift of God. It's free. That's what a gift is. It's free. Not of works lest anyone should boast. But we were saved for, can you tell me those three words in verse 10? We were saved for what? For good works. We were saved to do something. We weren't saved just to sit at this you know, side of the pool and have you know drink lemonade. We were saved for good works. Yes, grace. MacArthur says this grace is a single word definition of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of God's grace to sinful mankind. The, the nature of grace is giving. And the Bible tells us much about giving that uh, about giving and not getting, right? I mean, God is a, a gracious God. God is a God who gives. There isn't one thing that you can say about the Lord. You know, God is love. He's a giver. He gave. He looked at our uh, pitiful state, our, our uh, damnable state, and he had pity on our souls. And he gave. The Father gave the Son so that the Son might redeem uh, uh, mankind or humanity for, uh, for himself. And that's called the church. God is a God of grace because he is a God who freely gives. Again, in other words, God is gracious because of who he is, not who we are or what we have done. So when you see that word grace, it immediately does this. It's not what I'm doing, it's what he's already done. Now, that sets it up. This, this word grace in verse 7 is not talking about salvation. But we remember what grace did in our lives, which will drive us to do what verse 7 says. See, if you don't have the foundation of of a deep understanding of what God has done in your life in salvation, you're not going to do what you're supposed to do after salvation. That is good works. For God so loved the world that he he gave. He gave. He gave his only begotten son. So now, this is not about salvation as far as verse 7. Actually, it's talking about giftedness. But to each one of you, uh, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's that giftedness. But the thing I want you to remember is that we don't deserve it. We don't deserve salvation. Let me say something else. And we don't deserve the gifts that we're going to be talking about now. Like, I believe I have the gift of teaching. By the way, you're going to find out that, you know, it's not a major ordeal as far as to find out all the different parts of your gift or anything like that. The point is this, God, you have been gracious to me in salvation. My heart wants to serve you. Thank you that you've given me something, called a gift, to be able to serve you with that I can glorify you with, okay? But it's all him. See, it's it's not... He saved me, and I'll, I wonder what I should do to really kind of pay him back. No, that's not that. He saved me by grace. He now enables me by his grace to, do, to minister to his body, to Christ's body. So again, we don't deserve it. How about the third? We were saved to serve. It's interesting. It says that the grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now again, it doesn't say it in the text But actually, by commentaries, I realized that there is a definite article in front of the word grace, which means the grace. Definite article. Specific grace. And what he's referring to there is not salvation grace, but enabling grace. In other words, God, the grace, means the specific grace given to Cody at the moment of his salvation, so that he might not only have a gift, but the ability to function in that gift. And that's how it is with each person that is here. Again, it's subjective grace. It's not just grace general. It's grace specific. In fact, you can see it because look at how the verse plays out. It was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Even measured out. Not only the gift measured out, but the ability to use the gift was measured out. Again, there's growth and everything. I understand that. But the, the measure, in fact, you see that over in uh, chapter 12, verse, Romans 12, uh, I think, verse 3, talks about the measure of faith. So you've been given something, to, you've been brought into the body, you've been given a gift, you've been given the measure of faith, you've been able, given the ability to serve the body, and that keeps unity in the body. See, what happens when you have people who go from this, from serving. To wanting to be served. What happens in a body when that happens? What happens when you have radical cells doing their own thing? you know what you call that? Cancer. That's what you call that. Right? Radical cells doing their own thing. Radical cells wanting to be served instead of serving. That's called cancer. I wouldn't call any of you cancer. <laughs> I try. But well, maybe the Lord will. Uh, right? See, you are, I mean, I want the weight, I really do, I want the weight of what Christ has done, because, by the way, I don't stand before the Lord with you holding your hand, you stand there by yourself, right? But this is why I'm going through the series before Revelation, uh, Bob, down in ABF, I think he almost said it's sarcastic, well, John, we'll get to Revelation sometime, yeah, I am going to, but the point is this, the point is this, we stand before a sovereign Lord, and, and he's going to be judging the church. He's going to be judging the individuals of the church. And I'm very concerned that sometimes we get saved, thank you, Jesus. But you know what uh, Paul is saying here? You know what? God placed you into the body. He wants you to preserve that unity. And one of the best ways to preserve the unity is to use your spiritual giftedness. Because now you're not a taker primarily. You're a giver. That's the point. You're a giver. Lord. I want to express my love to you for all that you have done in my life. Thank you for giving me the gift, a gift so that I can show that love. Oh, let's look at the word gift. I found this interesting this week as I was looking at the word gift. There's actually four different uh, Greek words for the word gift. Four different Greek words. Sometimes it's the word charismata. It's found, well, just the little word, charisma. It's the word grace. You find it over in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Charisma. There, when you see that word in 1 Corinthians 12, what he's referring to is the gift, charisma is grace, undeserved. The undeserved gift. That, That would be the emphasis of that word, undeserved. So I go to 1 Corinthians 12. Oh, this gift is undeserved. There's another word, numeketam. Numa, Numa. That's the only thing that you have to remember. Numa. Uh, when Paul said in First Corinthians 12, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of uh, the get gift, spiritual gifts, like the first verse there. He used that word Numa. See, he actually used two different words for gift. One was Numa, the other was Chrismata. But the word Numa was Numa, Holy Spirit, right? Spirit. In other words, generated by the Spirit of God. When you're using that word, you're really focused on the fact that it's spiritual, that it's the source, the source. So whereas Chrismata would be, emphasis, undeserved, pneumaton would be more of the source. Who's the source? The spirit. Pneuma. Pneuma. But this is a third word. This is the third Greek word for the word gift. And it's doria. And the emphasis is on freely. In other words, this is where uh, one of the, uh, the adverbs is used in Matthew 10. F- this is the word. Freely. That's the word. Freely. Freely you have received. Freely give. Freely. Not, the emphasis in this verse is not undeserved. It's not the source. It's the fact that your, the gift was given to you freely. You didn't earn it. Just like salvation, you were gifted freely. And I think the way that Matthew uses the word is the way that God wants us to use our gift. Freely you have received, freely give. Some time ago, uh, a person that uh, gave me a substantial amount of money. and um, But it wasn't for me. It was actually, it was like four or $5,000. And he said... Just use it for people in the church when there's needs come up. It was nothing for me. But that has been one of the best, maybe I've told you this before, that has been one of the best uh, uh, examples or tests for me to see that I am just a steward. It's just been very good. Because, and there's still a little bit left. You know, it's been about a year and it's almost all gone. But, you know, a need comes through, and I have to like evaluate, okay, what would he want? What would he want? What would he want me to do with this particular amount of money? And should I give him this amount? Should I not give him? Should I give him this much? Should I give him more? Lord, what do you think he would want? And it really has helped me to think about stewardship. See, it wasn't my money. He just told me to use it for other people, but he gave me the right to do whatever I wanted, right? But I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go on a Hawaii vacation. (laughs) That's stewardship. Now, that's just money. That's helped me, by the way. That illustration has really helped me with my finances and my giving because that transferable principle has been in my life. And I keep thinking, okay, everything I have is really just the Lord's. He's gonna, he's gonna give, you're going to give an account. There's just no way, right? You're going to give an account. And so, I mean, that just helped me to say, oh, I've got to be a good steward. But that same scenario is the gift in this thing. He gave you a gift. Now use it. Oh, Lord, I wish you would just write it down like you want me to do Sunday morning? How do you want me to use my gift? Who do you want me to use it for? When do you want me to use it for? No, I'm giving you gifted, and I want you to be part of the body, and I want you to serve, and you're going to depend on my spirit to t- not only who, but, but to actually the performance of. So again, Doria, freely. That's the whole point of it. Let me give you, by the way, a definition of spiritual gifts. I haven't really in your outline. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given by Christ through the Holy Spirit to the believer at the moment of salvation for the profit of all, that being the the body of believers. That's really the, the definition. Okay? So again, supernatural ability given by Christ through the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation, didn't earn it, so that we might serve one another, so that the body might be unified. So, we're called to serve. We're saved to serve. How about the fifth, or fourth thing? Each believer is uniquely gifted. You get that from the word, the, or two words, the measure. In other words, the measure refers back to the sovereign design from the head. That's Christ. Over in, Like I said, Romans 12, verse 3, the measure of faith. God gives both the grace and the faith to energize the gift. The grace... To get the gift and then the faith to exercise the gift. And again, that should, that should just bring glory to him. It's not about me. By the way, when, when it becomes about us, when we don't have that humility and, our, and the focus is on, not on the Lord but on us, then that gift will go awry. And you might even see whole Christian movements go away from what God wants. And, this, and you see it with the spiritual gift and it is this way. When, like, you hear of a group of Christians that say, oh, everybody needs to have this gift. No, no, that's not how it works. That's not diversity. That would, that would be going against what the, the gift says. That's a def, uh, against the definition of the gift. So again, each believer is uniquely gifted. The measure, the measure. He's, we've been measured out a certain amount of grace to accomplish your particular gift. And then the final thing is this. Each of us is given a specific gift. The word gift is in singular. It's interesting because in 1 Peter chapter 4, it also is in the singular. This is how it says. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Minister to one another as good stewards. The, the gift is singular. It's not plural. That means at the moment of your salvation... You were given a gift, singular. And you say, but there's all these different types of gifts. You have the gift of administration, the gift of ruling, the gift of teaching, exhortation, the gift of mercy. Well, you're given a gift, and I believe that those, as, as it were, are the, are the ingredients. And as I've said before, you know, okay, uh, Cody, if I could may use you, Cody. Cody's got this gift, okay, and I'm going to give him a certain amount of teaching and a certain amount of uh, mercy and a certain amount of, well, you said a little bit of mercy. Uh, <laughs> he'll, he'll grow you in that. Um, see, and we receive it. No, it, it's your. this is the point. Your, your gift is unique, which means you are absolutely necessary. I, if you don't use your gift, the body of, uh, of believers suffers. And by the way, you can't determine your gift. You, as one said, you, you can no more determine your gift than you can determine the color of your skin, the color of your eyes, or the color of your hair. When you were born into that family, but when you were born into your physical family, it was determined whether you're going to be a brunette, whether you're going to have blue eyes, right? When you were born into God's family, it was already determined what that gift was going to be. Determined, created by sovereign God, given to one of his kids so that that kid could function well in his family and be an absolute necessary part of the family. That's really what it is. I mean, it's just, that's great. Gets rid of all our problems if we just function what we should do. Now, again, you say, but I have the, maybe I have the gift of teaching, you know, well, maybe that's the predominant part. But, you know, take 100 believers, take 50 believers with the gift of teaching. Uh, they're not going to all have the same degree of emphasis or ability. I mean, think about how it works out. Uh, some teach in the classroom, some teach in the church. Others instruct children. Some do teaching one-on-one. Some do teaching in a small group, right? I mean, that same gift of teaching is then expressed in so many different ways through so many different people with so many different of their own particular gift. Now, again, what's sad is when people say, well, I don't know what my gift is, and I'm just not going to... No, no, no. This is about the body surviving. Not only that, but again, it's a... A gift mix, and I won't go over that again. But we're all like snowflakes. You know, we're starting. How many of you really like the snow? <laughs> yeah, you do, really? No, <laughs> but you look, and they say, no. Is that true? No No, no two snowflakes are actually uh, identical. Uh, think of gifts like snowflakes. None, are, none of you are, are identical with someone else. Oh, you might have the gift of teaching over here, but you do it with a certain group of people, and you, have a, and you need, and, and with your giftedness, you also need you know, that ability to show mercy, and you have a certain amount of ability to uh, lead. And God has made you specific and unique for that particular position. And so we can all rejoice in each other, like a, like a fingerprint, unique. Therefore, when a believer does not minister his gift properly as God's steward, God's work suffers to that degree. Because God has not called or gifted another Christian in exactly the same way or exactly the same work. No believer should be a spectator. We're all team players. That's how you got to look at it. We're all team players. Not to use our gift is, as one man said, an affront to God. Really? Really? You know, God, I'm just so busy. I've got all these other pressures. Well, think of you giving that really special gift to your kid. Maybe that's a child. And they just look at it and say, is that all? Or they receive it with joy, but then you find out six months later they've never used it. Now, God has given us a gift, and it's to help his, uh, you know... What's different about the spiritual gift versus that physical gift I just referred to is this. When we don't use our giftedness, it affects each of God's children. Oh, wait a second here. That's, that, that steps up the intensity need, right? I need to do it because I'm affecting you if I'm not fulfilling my gift and vice versa. So again, we have to do our gift. Let me read one guy. He said, each member of the body is to work for the well-being of the whole. One suffer. One when one suffer, all suffer. When one is blessed, all is blessed. Or think of it, unity. Another way to say this is is to say that that we not only belong to Christ, we also belong to one another. Do you think of that that way? We don't only belong to Christ; we belong to one another. John Murray says of Christians: Christians have property in one another, and therefore in one another's gifts and graces, it would be correct to add that you as a Christian have a right to the gifts of other members of the body. You have a right to our gifts. And he he closes by saying this, you cheat them if you do not use it, and you are poorer if you do not depend on other people's gifts. So we cheat each other, and we're poorer for it if we're not interconnected, interdependent. We gotta. I mean, I find this so, uh, so obvious in small groups. I love getting together in a small group, uh, like men's prayer. And, you know, you have people, different guys with different gifts, speaking different things about the same subject that we're studying. And it's like, wow, I walk away with insight. Why? Because I'm connecting with a group of men who are coming from different directions. They're diverse, but all for the purpose of unity. So even in study, we compliment and we bless each other. So again... We are one body. Now, you, you might... Um, let me just throw out a couple of things on how do you discover your, your spiritual gift. You might be sitting there like, well, okay, you say spiritual gift. I would just say five very sim- or four simple things. One is, know that you all have one. If you are a Christian, you do have a spiritual gift. I think we've established that. And I think number two is, you have to identify what is the purpose. The purpose of the spiritual gift is not for someone to get glory for themselves. It's glory to God, edifying of the body. So you got to have those two things. Everyone's got one, and the purpose is to glorify God, edify the body. Number three is, I would say this, know that they're out there. In other words, what is the spiritual gift? Uh, You can find descriptions of them, like in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. In Romans 12, he gives you a list and there's a number of lists in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12 says this there is the gift of prophecy and ministry and exhortation and giving and leading and mercy. In other words, those are the components. But then the fourth step is this. So there's I kind of get what the gifts could be, what they kind of look like. I would say this. Number four is be experimenting with the possibility of what your spiritual gift is. If you have no idea, and you're like, I'm young, I'm only 27 years old, i really not served, I'm not sure, I would say experiment. Experiment. In other words, be open. Um, uh, volunteer to uh, serve in the nursery, or in Olympian, or taking food to the homeless shelter. Doesn't, by the way, all this service doesn't have to happen in the church. The idea is, though, that you're serving, especially Christians, but uh, serving the world, yes, but serving, and you volunteer, be open. I would say a second thing is this, be available. I like Chuck Chuck Swindoll said this. Be willing to be used by God in different areas of ministry, even though you, you feel you're not quite ready for the task. In other words, you're uncomfortable, but you say, I want to serve, Lord. You have been so gracious to me, Lord, I want to serve. You're open, you're available. I think it also takes courage. Because when you're out of your comfort zone, you got to be courageous, right? I find people that they'll teach a Sunday school class, two weeks, oh, I, f- I failed, I'm not going to do that again. No, stay in it four or five weeks. Stay in it for four or five months. Well, maybe not four or five months, you might empty the class, but, you know. Be courageous. And the final thing, and I think this is the most important one of those, be committed to use your gift. In other words, Lord, as I'm learning, I am committing myself to serving your body long-term. It's not just about finding out what the gift is. It's about using it. That's why I really am not that impressed with spiritual gift surveys. I think it pigeonholes you. You know, you take the survey, and then it comes on and says, you are a teacher. And then what is, many times we do this. Well, Well, unless I'm teaching, I'm not going to serve. Well, how many of us are called never to show mercy even though that's a gift? Right? By the way, I think this is why gifts are even given in the body as a specific. Because it shows the rest of us how to do it. How many of us are called never to teach? Oh, watch a teacher. I got it. I understand what I'm supposed to do. Oh, I have a hard time showing mercy. Oh, there's a person that has the gift of mercy. Let me track with them for a while. Because they're helping me through their giftedness showing me how to show mercy. How many of us never called to lead? Oh, boy, that person really leads well. I've got to watch how he does that, right? So giftedness also helps the rest of the body to do all those different parts. So, so you're neat, unique and you're needed, and, and I know I'm almost out of time, but let me get to the, the third point. Verse 8, because in, in verse 8, he actually shows us from 8 to 10 how was it that Christ had the right to give us gifts, okay? Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now again, the analogy in verse 8, the first part, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, is actually from Psalm 68, 18. 68, 18, it's an analogy. Now that's talking about David. All right, Psalms is talking about David. But this passage in Ephesians is going back to the Psalm passage and saying, just like David led captivity captive, so Christ did, in a spiritual sense. It was a victory hymn composed by David to celebrate God's conquest of the Jebusite city and the triumphant ascent of God. And that, that's what Psalms 68. And, and this is the imagery, okay? Let me just paint the imagery. After a king won such a victory... He would bring home the spoils and the enemy prisoners to parade before his people. We've heard that in, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2. The triumphant entry. I mean, if you ever uh, did any research on uh, the Roman triumphant entry into Rome after after, uh, Titus uh, conquered, and there was this long, there was like 11 different steps. The bottom line was this. The conquering general came back and said, Look at all the people I have conquered. Look at all the spoils I have got for Rome. Look at all the enemy captains and the generals. And, and, and there would be this long processional. In fact, back then, because they didn't have you know, cameras, uh, they would literally draw pictures of the battle, the battlefield, you know, when he was going up against the wall, and by the way, the main theme of the whole thing was the conquering general. He was the center of the whole parade. Well, that's what uh, Paul is referring to here. Go on, let me finish this. An Israelite king would, would take his entourage through the holy city of Jerusalem and up Mount Zion. Another feature of the victory parade, however, would be the display of the king's own soldiers who had been freed after being held prisoner by the enemy. These were often referred to as recaptured captives recaptured captives prisoners who had been taken prisoner again so to speak by their own king and then given freedom that's what he means by taking captivity captive he's not talking about old testament saints there i know i've heard this you know um uh, you know abraham bosom had two sides one was for uh, pain and suffering the other one was for old testament saints that could not yet get to heaven that's i don't think he's talking about that at all he's talking about us there when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he conquered death, hell, Satan, sin, right? He was the almighty conqueror. What did he do? And we were crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. We were crucified in a spiritual sense. We were crucified with Christ. I know that we were co-crucified, not that our we were there, we were represented with Christ. And when he rose again, what happened? We were free, and he led captivity captive. That's us. He loved us so much, he came and rescued his own, and he freed us from Satan. He freed us from sin. In fact, that's what uh, uh, Colossians 2, I'll get there in a second. Um, I mean, this is Victory. Let's go on. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he left captivity ca- captive. This is the triumphant Christ returning from battle on earth back to glory in heaven with his trophies. We're his trophies. He's rescued us. Now, now think about this in the context of gifts. You're unified. Keep the unity of the spirit uh, and the spirit of the bond of peace. Each one of you have been given a, a grace gift. But let me tell you how this all happened. This is because Christ came. He died for your sins. He rescued you and brought you back to God. Shouldn't that like say, whoa, yeah, Lord, and I want to serve you. This is the spoils of war. And, and then the sport even more, not only the prisoners are set free, that's us, but he gave gifts. That's the spoils of war. And this word gift, this is the interesting thing. This is a fourth word. It's domata. And, it, and the idea is comprehensive. He, he came back with the spoils of war and the freed prisoners, which were us. And now he's able to, because he is victorious, he could reign over his church and give his church the gifts that we so desperately need so that we might be able to... Uh, grow each other through the power of Christ. And when Christ was exalted on a high, he what? He sent the Spirit, Acts 1.8. And with the coming of the Spirit, he gave gifts to the church. That's Pentecost. And so he ends by showing the sequence. Verse 9. This is the incarnation. Now this, he, Christ, ascended. What does it mean? But he also first descended in the lower part. See, what he wants to do is he wants to go back. Okay, I already told you that he ascended in victory. But before he ascended in victory, what do he have to do? He had to descend. He had to come from glory to this earth. Long ways, as it were. What does it mean? First descend in the lower parts of the earth. That, that lower parts is, is nothing more. As He's just trying to show the glorious Christ, the king, had to descend to this dirt ball <laughs> to rescue captives that were us. But then he goes in verse 10, well, let me give you the exact scenario. He who descended, that's incarnation, is also one who also ascended, that's glorification, far above all the heavens. And and we find this in scripture. Before there's exaltation, there is humiliation. In your own life, it's going to be like that. We're living on this little dirt ball. We're living in in the dot, as I think, uh, oh, who was the guy that said that? We're living in the dot and not the line. Oh, help me out here. The guy with the financial purity principle. Oh, huh? Randy Elcorn. We're living in the dot. We're living the. Dot. And sometimes when you live in the dot, there's going to be a lot of humiliation. By the way, there's humiliation at the point of salvation, isn't there? Because at at the point of salvation, what have you had to do? Lord, it is not my self righteousness that can save me. It is only your glorious righteousness that can save me. There's humiliation. But then throughout this life, this short time on this earth, there is going to be humiliation after humiliation after humiliation for you as a believer. That's just how it is. What does the Bible say? The world's going to what? Hate you. But there's coming a day of glorification. There's coming a day of exaltation. As Christ had to descend, he also ascended. As we have had to be humiliated, because that's part of the Christian process, there's also a time as we're faithful to him, that we will be exalted. Let me just end with the last part. He said lower part of the earth. Again, a striking contrast. But I think he's also talking about what 1 Peter 3 says. It says, 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's it. That's the ascension. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now some would say that's the Old Testament say. That's not, he's talking about the demons. He's talking about those who are already in Sheol. In other words, what he did was he descended during those three days. I believe he, again, he's physically dead, but he's spiritually alive. He descended and proclaimed himself as the true Lord. And he did it to those spirits that were in prison. He proclaimed himself to be king. He proclaimed himself to be victorious. That the grave was not going to hold him. Three days later, he, he rises. But again, that's, that's what he's uh, referring to there. So he's victorious. So let me just read this again. He ascended on a high. He led captivity. captive. that's us. And gave gifts to men. Why? Because we've been freed. And now this, he ascended, what does it also mean? But he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth, even to the point, I believe, of of, uh, proclaiming himself to be victorious to those spirits in prison. He who descended is also the one who ascended, far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And then the closure is this, verse 11. And he himself, that's emphatic, he himself gave some to be apostles. And this is, these are gifts, whereas verse 7 are gifts to individuals to minister to the church. Now he says in verse eleven, and then he gave some to actually be gifts to the church itself. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. In other words, he even gives a different category. He says, "Listen, when he came and he victoriously rose out of that grave, he gave and he gave what he was uh, what he uh, had victory over. He was then had the right to give gifts." And he brought the spoils with him, and you were part of that. If you were a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that I have been saved, I've been rescued from sin, I've been rescued from Satan, I've been rescued from myself, I've been rescued from um, hell, death. And he rescues us, and then he places you into the body, and then he gifts you so that you can minister, so that you can keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And now the question is, are you using it? Are you actually seeking out of, love, out of love in your heart to minister to his people? Or the other option is this, selfishness. It's all about me, Lord. Thank you, but it's all about me. If it's all about the Lord, then you're going to want to minister to his body. That's just how it is. So I trust that that's how it is in your life, that you, that you will see that you need to serve. Because you can ne- we can never reach a unity of the body, uh, or unity of the spirit, and the bond of peace if, if we're not actually serving one another. Let's stand as we close.